The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Our scripture reading this morning uh, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You can be seated. I encourage you this morning to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Our text this morning is going to be 14 verses 22 through 16 uh, verse 17. Before I get into just kind of catching us up to where we're at and the text this morning, I just want to take you through a little bit of the, the mind of uh, a pastor as he, as I was preparing preparing to teach this text as I, I I realized as I was working through it that I was approaching it very much I think the 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 way that Israel ended up approaching it and I was thinking in legalistic terms and I was jumping right ahead to application of how I can as the, the theme will reveal itself today, kind of encourage you in your generosity. But I was overlooking a huge part of the text. And it, as, as I read and reread the text and, and just meditated upon it, all of a sudden it just kind of said, Jeremy, you're overlooking the biggest thing. Before I can just jump to application and say we need to be compassionate and, gener and, and generous toward others, we have to recognize that God in Christ is compassionate and generous toward us. It has to sink deep into our hearts to realize what God has done for us is the only reason that would give us any reason to show that kind of love, that kind of generosity and compassion toward others. 
So as we work through this text, I, I want to bring us back to kind of a central thing. And I'm jumping way ahead in my notes. But I just feel I have to share it. Otherwise, I might forget. But before we get into the text this morning, something that we, we touched on earlier as we were looking at chapter 5 and Moses giving, uh, uh, repeating the Ten Commandments, something that's so important for us to realize is the Ten Commandments really show who our God is. They, they showcase his, his glory. They, they showcase his characteristics. So we really need to see the Ten Commandments as first shining a, a spotlight on the beauty of God. And then as, as he creates in us a new heart, as we've seen in the text and looking ahead in Deuteronomy, it's God needs to circumcise our hearts. He needs to give us a new heart. It's, it's through that new heart that we begin to live out a life that reflects his beauty. So just have that in the back of your mind as we get through this. And hopefully that'll kind of make more sense as, as we unpack this, this passage this morning. Just kind of to get everyone kind of up, up to speed since we've missed one week. Again, we're working our way through Deuteronomy. We are now in Moses' second sermon. This, Deuteronomy is a series of sermons by Moses who realizes that he is a, a dying preacher. They are on the, the cusp of entering the promised land and God has already told Moses that he is not allowed to enter with the people. So this is Moses preaching these sermons, pleading with his people, pleading with this congregation of Israel before they go into the land of promise, pleading with them to remember these, these fundamental truths. As I said, we're now in his second sermon he has, in chapter 5 of the book, gone over the Ten Commandments. And now as he's working through what is this longest of the sermons, he is, he is expounding upon the Ten Commandments themselves. We've kind of worked through some of that as we've seen how he alone is to be worshipped, that he directs how he is to be worshipped. And this morning, as we look at this specific passage, this passage that is going to really expand upon the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, we're going to see how true worship changes us. Let me pray, and, and we're going to read a, a large portion of our text this morning. We can't read the entire passage, but, we'll, but we will read most of it. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word this morning, first... I just praise you that you've given us your word, that you've revealed yourself to us through it. You've revealed your perfect will. You've revealed as we've been looking at how that you are God, that there is none other. You are a redeemer. You alone are to be worshiped. And you show us how you ought to be worshiped. I pray, Father, then that you would give uh, as humility as we, as we listen to your words, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us the desire to obey you, not out, of, not out of dread, but because you have called us to yourselves through your son, Jesus Christ, that you have called us your children so that 
we no longer come to you as judge, but as father, that we can delight in your law rather than fear it. Yeah, I, I so pray that you would give us that right sense of, the, of fear, that reverence for you that you deserve as God Almighty. Father, help me as I'm weak to preach your word as you would have me to preach it, only to say the things that you would have me to say, those things that are true about you. Father, help us all, including me, to have ears that are prepared, attentive to listen, to receive your word. Help all of us in Christ to receive it with joy. And for those of us, for those here who, who don't believe, Father, I pray that you would grant them, that you would create in them that new heart so that they may hear your word for the first time, that they may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and call you Father. Father, help us to see your beauty as we open your word this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And read uh, from chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, verse 22, through chapter 15. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God and the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses, to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. And spend the money... For whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you, as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, 
in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you. For at half the cost of a hired worker, he has served you six years. So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God year by year at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Well, again, this, this section verses. 22 of chapter 14 through verse 17 of chapter 16 is, is an exposition and an explanation of the, the fourth commandment. I want to walk you through some of those details, kind of help that stand out as clear, uh, clear to you. But first, it's important for us to note as we, as we look at this, as we've looked at the Ten Commandments previously and both in this study and the study that kind of led us into this as we, as we looked at the role of the, of the law and the life of the believer, we, we saw that the Ten Commandments are something that is established at the very beginning of creation. It's in the heart of, in the heart of man because it, it, it is the character of God. Because it's God's character, it doesn't change. It, it remains but what we have here is an application of, of specifically the fourth commandment, and it's specifically an application to the nation of Israel. So as we look at things like the tithes and the, the sabbatical years, and in chapter 16, which we didn't have time to read this morning, but I'll reference the, the various feasts, those are things that are specifically meant for the nation of Israel. It's how the, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is, was meant to play out 
for them. But what it does show for us, even though we don't, we no longer observe these uh, specific applications of the fourth commandment, what they do show us is a, a Sabbath principle that's extremely important for us. And as I said at the beginning, it, it showcases a characteristic, characteristic of God that's important really to be impressed upon our heart to mold us and shape us. To, to remind us of the, uh, the fourth commandment as, as Moses re- retold the commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the fourth commandment is this from uh, verses 12 through 15. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Moses kind of builds on the Sabbath commandment there as, as it's initially given in Exodus 20. The, the reason for the Sabbath is, goes all the way back to creation. How Moses points out that God created in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And here Moses folds into it the redemptive work of God. How he says God rescued you. He redeemed you out of the land of Egypt, out of the, the house of slavery. And much of that language, and the, the, the reason I wanted to reread it, is much of that language is found throughout this section explaining the application of, of the Sabbath commandment to the people. Regarding the tithes and the sabbatical year, it really it represents a, a seven-year cycle for the nation. As you, as you read through it, it's the, in the first, the second, the fourth, and the fifth years, they, they were to bring the, the, their tithes and their offerings, the, their first fruits, to the designated place of worship. So again, the first, second, fourth, and fifth years, they're to bring their first fruits, their offerings, to the place where, that God has declared that where this is where he is to be worshiped. They come and they enjoy a meal before him. Now, much of what they brought would have been given to the, the Levites and the priesthood because they didn't own property. They didn't own land. So they relied on the people to provide for them. So they would bring their, they would bring their the, uh, crops and herds and they'd bring these things and their, and their wine, a strong drink. They'd bring it and not, not only would them and their household enjoy a meal in the presence of the Lord, but they would share uh, the abundance of that tithe and offering to the Levites and the priesthood. Then in the, the third and sixth year, they were to kind of do the same, but instead of going to the place where God is to be worshiped, they went to the gates of their cities. And at the gates of their cities, they, they set out this abundant supply, and that was specifically for 
again, the Levites who lived among them, but also for the poor and needy. And, and the thing that, as the, the passage describes this group of people, it says in verse 29 of chapter 14, the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, or the orphan, and the widow who are within your towns. And it's really describing people who don't have property, people who really relied on others to provide for them. So the people who do own property, who own fields, who own herds, they bring this tithe, they bring this offering, and they place it in their gates so that the least of these can gather together and enjoy the good things that God has blessed them with. So the first and second, fourth and fifth, they go to the designated place of worship with their tithes. The third and the sixth year, they, they bring it just within their gates for the poor, the needy, and the, and the Levites. The seventh year, there is no tithe. And the seventh year, as you see in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 25, the, the seventh year was meant to be the sabbatical year, this year of rest, where they, they didn't harvest they didn't harvest their lands. In fact, their fields were meant to be harvested by the poor and needy. And even, I believe it's uh, either Exodus 23 or Leviticus 25 mentions even the wild animals. That they might come in and enjoy the fruit of the land. This Sabbath year that they were meant to take this entire year off where they neither sowed nor harvested. Now, as we think about that, think how in the world does that possibly work? How can you possibly take, especially, I, I can't imagine, Brennan, you, uh, preaching this in farmland. You're going to let everything sit for a year. In a minute, I'll read a passage that helps kind of shed some light on that. But it's a heavy thing, and I think that's one of the things that the people of Israel struggled with. As God, throughout this passage, is, is promising to bless them, but they say, but how can I possibly do that? How can I possibly let my land sit for a year? And then that becomes, well, how can I possibly give the best of what I have? I worked hard for that. How can I possibly give this tithe where... Man, I could really use that. I'd like to store that up. There's a lot of room here for a hardened heart. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a moment. The feasts that we see in chapter 16, the, these also follow the sabbatical, uh, the Sabbath pattern that's established where the, the Passover, and if you look at verse 8 of chapter 16, it says, For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. So there's this, this Sabbath pattern of days, six days not eating unleavened bread, and then uh, this solemn rest, this solemn assembly on the seventh day. The, the Feast of Weeks or what we probably more commonly know it as Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks or Pentecost was, was built again on the Sabbath pattern as it was seven weeks from Passover. So you have your, 
your seven weeks of seven days, 49 days, and on the fifth, or 49 years, on the 50th, or days, I'm sorry, on the 50th day, you celebrate the Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Then you have the Feast of Booths. And this is kind of, all of these are marked by kind of joyous occasions. But throughout the history of the nation of Israel, this uh, of all their feasts was one that was especially joyous as they, they gathered together in, in the designated place to worship and they, they pitched their tents or their booths and they, they had kind of this week-long party where they celebrated and rejoiced in the presence of the Lord. They would have the public reading of the law at this Feast of Booths. But it was again a, a built on that seven-day pattern but in all these things, not only the tithes and the, the Sabbath year and the various applications of that w with the poor and with uh, the, those who might w uh, be your servants, all the application and, and the, the feasts, all of these things, important things that need to stand out to us in this text as we see God's promise of blessing and provision for his people. We see a call to rejoice and celebrate before him as the people offered back their best to him. And we see a call to be generous with others by abundantly meeting their needs. This is the, what we what we're really need to gather out of this, the Sabbath principle. You see, there's, in the Ten Commandments, we often refer to the two tables. They're the first four commandments, which deal directly with God and, and how we are to relate to God, our duty to God. And then the remaining six commandments of how we are supposed to relate to one another and our duty to one another. And what I love about the fourth commandment is it really is this hinge between the two tables of the law. It's this hinge because it not only instructs us on the proper worship of God, how he tells us that he is supposed to be worshiped, but it begins to bring in our relationship with others into it as well. That original command in the, uh, to observe the Sabbath day, it would be very easy for the rich and, and the property owners to enjoy the Sabbath day while their servants go about and do all the work for them. Probably not much different than any other day of the week. But the command itself says, you shall have everyone, everyone in your household, even the sojourner who might be with you, your, your male servants and your female servants and your animals, they all shall observe this special day of rest. So this fourth commandment really deals with both sides of the tables, how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. But as I mentioned near the beginning of the sermon, we, there's a few ways to kind of approach this text. And as I saw, I started realizing I was approaching it to a certain degree with a bit of a hard heart, a legalistic heart, as I wasn't focusing on the giver of the law himself and realizing that this really shines a light on who he is. The hard heart had to be reminded by Christ 
as he told the Pharisees, he says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's, it's, meant, it's meant to be a blessing. You see, the legalistic heart or the hard heart, which Moses is dealing with throughout the, the book of Deuteronomy, dealing with these hard hearts, he says it, it's the hard heart that receives the Sabbath commandment and just puts it in this place of legalism where it becomes what the Pharisees made it. You can only go so many steps. It's only meant for this or that thing. You can't, you can't do this. It's all, it's all about what you can and can't do. And what happens when we take any of the commandments, but I think it's showcased in this commandment, when we take it, take this commandment and we make it just this legal principle and we lose the heart of it, is we lose the very essence of who the who our lawgiver is. As Israel would show in their history the hardness of heart over this Sabbath commandment and specifically these applications of it. First, they, they didn't trust God's promise of blessing. They didn't trust God's promise of blessing because throughout, as you read this text, throughout the text, as he's telling them these things that seem difficult to understand, difficult to obey, how can I possibly let my land rest for a whole year? How could I possibly give of all, of, of all that I have to the poor? How can I see my brother in need and I want, to, I want to help him, but you know, the best way to help him is to give him a loan. Oh, but it's the sixth year. The seventh year is right around the corner and the seventh year I have to forgive it. Ugh, I don't want to do that because then I'm not going to ever get back my money. And God throughout this is saying, it's not your money. It's not your food. It's not your stuff. It is mine. I have blessed you with it. Trust me. Take the things that I have blessed you with and turn around and bless others. And I promise I will continue to bless you. But in our hardness of heart, we have a difficult time seeing the promise of God's blessing. I said I would look back at the Sabbath year as, as we think of Judah eventually being taken off into exile. We're told that they, they would be carried off into exile by the Babylonians for 70 years, a year for every Sabbath year that they didn't observe. You see, following that Sabbath year principle proved for Israel to be really difficult. But listen, listen to this. I do want to read this. Leviticus 25. As we think about not trusting God's promise to bless, to bless us in Israel, doubting God's promise to bless them, Leviticus 25, verse 18, says, Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill 
and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat the seventh year? If we may not, if we may not sow or gather in our crops, God says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. This goes all the way back to where we first kind of uh, see some of the outworkings of, of God's blessing in the Sabbath. This is even before the, the Sabbath command was given on Sinai as the children of Israel, I've mentioned this recently, but the children of Israel are in the wilderness and they're hungry and God provides them manna to eat. And he tells them to go out and collect the manna every day. He says, but I'm, don't collect. I'm not going to provide anything on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day. But what was unique about that is what they collected on Monday would be rotten and spoiled on Tuesday. And they would have to go and collect their food on Tuesday. But what they collected on Friday would stay fresh on Saturday. And they would have more than enough to meet their needs on the Sabbath day, the day that God said to rest. But even that, here we're talking about a, a whole year. Even that, thinking of one day, there was the very, the very first time it happened, people went out to collect the manna. Because, well, hey, I have this experience. I collect it on one day and it spoils on the next day. So experience tells me that I need to collect on Saturday as well. Even though God has told me that I don't need to, Experience tells me better. But God provided, God blessed. He kept the food on the Friday so it would last on the Saturday. And he says the same thing with the Sabbath year. I know it doesn't make sense, but trust me, I will bless you. You will reap abundantly on the sixth year so that you can allow the land to completely rest on the seventh year. And on the eighth year, you will continue eating what you gathered in the sixth year. You will sow your crops. And then when the ninth year comes, you will harvest those crops that you, that you sowed in the eighth year. And you will enjoy plenty. He says, trust me, I am the God who redeemed you out of the land of Egypt. I want to bless you. And I will do this thing. Yet it's difficult to believe so the people didn't trust God's promise or blessing. And because they didn't believe in God's blessing, they didn't view everything they had as coming from and belonging to him. So they kept their first fruits and the best of their flocks for themselves. Verse 21 of, of chapter 15, as he's speaking about the, the types of herds that they would bring before God, he says, in verse 21, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Well, this they had difficulty with. Again, as I said, we, we struggle with, with maybe a big picture of God providing for an entire year. But if we struggle with that picture of God providing for an entire year, we're really struggling with who God is. 
And that's exactly how this, this played out with the nation of Israel. I'm not going to read it today for the sake of time, but in Malachi chapter 1, God calls out the people. He says, the animals that you're bringing to me, they're lame and blind. They're the worst of your flock. They're the scrawny and sickly. He says, you take these to your governor. Would you present these animals to your governor? And yet, for some reason, you feel like you're comfortable to bring these to me, God Almighty. You, can, you think you can get away with bringing me your, your blind sheep, your lame sheep? You have forgotten who I am. Because they had forgotten that it's God who blessed them, that it's God who provided all that they, all that they needed, they had a tight hand, a clenched fist. They held on to all that they had tightly. They wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't give it to God, recognizing that he is their provider. So they couldn't give him the best of their flock, their first fruits. And because they did this with God, they did it with others. They didn't believe God's blessing, so they didn't view everything that they had as belonging to him and coming from him. So they also kept their first fruits and the best of their flocks and all that they had for themselves. This really twisted the Sabbath principle where it became all about just the boxes to check of saying, I have followed the Sabbath principle. To what we see in Mark chapter 3, this is really an ongoing, as you read through the Gospels, this is an ongoing issue with surrounding Jesus, him healing on the Sabbath. And this is because they forgot the very principle of what the Sabbath meant. They forgot that it marks the character of who God is. So Mark 3, verses 1 through 6, speaking of Jesus, it says, Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. You see, they had completely lost sight of what the Sabbath principle meant. They lost sight of the lawgiver who gave it, the lawgiver who's compassionate and generous and provided everything for them and promised to bless them even in the face of things that just seem difficult to believe. But he says, trust me, I will bless you. I'll provide for you. 
And not only did, did they withhold what they were called to give God and the right worship, but because they didn't worship rightly, they turned against their fellow man and withheld what they're meant to give to them and have a hardness of heart so that even they would follow Jesus throughout all his ministry, accusing him of breaking the Sabbath when he healed someone, when he showed mercy to someone. The very principle that the Sabbath was meant to endorse and to highlight mercy and compassion and generosity as Jesus healed a man with a withered hand they sought how to destroy Jesus for that. They missed the entire point. Their closed hand in all of these things, their closed hand revealed a hard heart. But as I've said, what first we need to see from this, what we first need to understand as Moses lays out this application of the fourth commandment, we need to see first the heart of our God. We need to see the heart of our God. The 10 commandments reveal the character of God. This is, this is that point that I said I tripped myself up on. I was so ready to just jump forward to say, be generous, be compassionate. But we can't be generous and compassionate if we aren't overwhelmed by God's compassion and generosity toward us. We have, we have to just be in awe of what he has done for us. And the Sabbath commandment highlights this. First, we understand that God doesn't withhold blessings from his children. God, Scripture testifies over and over again. We understand even just as he is the creator, everything is his. He owns it all. Whatever we have is a gift from him. And yet he heaps blessings upon us more than we could ever imagine. Think of Romans 8. Since God didn't spare his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? So we think of God's blessing and his, and his promise of provision. And it's not just that he, he will help meet our needs and provide certain spiritual blessings, but he has provided his very son. He didn't even spare his own son. God who has and owns everything, didn't even spare his own son, but gave him freely up for us that we may, may be brought into the household of faith, into the household of God and be called the children of God. What? How could that possibly be? In fact, Ephesians 1, Paul says, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. He didn't withhold his own son for, from us. And since he gave us his son, he has given us every spiritual blessing in him. Not some, every. Every spiritual blessing. And it's important too that the word spiritual. Because oftentimes 
we, and this is one of those sources of the hard heart, oftentimes our idea of needs and blessings are wrapped around temporal things because we say, this is what I need here and now. I need food on the table. I need money in the bank. I need good health. These are the things that stand out as the clear and present needs. But God says, I know better what you need than you do. And I'm going to meet even those needs. I'm going to bless you. Sometimes he blesses us in ways that we think, how's this blessing? And yet he is promising us, I am giving you in Christ every spiritual blessings. Blessings that far surpass temporal riches. They're spiritual, they're eternal. God does not withhold any blessings from his children. God, God's heart, as he outlines in this for the people of Israel in these various ways to bless the least of these among them, that is God's heart. Mo, uh, yeah, Moses has already said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, he, this is how he describes God. He says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. The Sabbath principle shines and declares a light on God who is the God who is generous and compassionate. Although he is God of gods and Lord of lords, almighty, heavenly father, the least of these, the, the orphans and the widows don't escape his, his attention. The sojourners don't escape his attention. He meets their needs. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 68 declares God to be father of the fatherless and protector of widows. He settles, this is the, the call to worship we had this morning. He settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. In, in, in Deuteronomy 15, verse 12 through 15, we see a bit of this application. It says, if, you, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. When you let him go free from you, you, will, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. He says, look to the model I have set for you. I set this model for you. Do you remember when you were in Egypt? And you were slaves oppressed under Pharaoh? And I brought you out. And do you remember when I brought you out? When you were released from your slavery? You went around and you knocked on the doors. And as the Egyptians opened up their doors... These Egyptians who had just lost the firstborn in their homes, they opened their doors and they were met by Israelites saying, God told us to ask you for your riches. And kind of like Halloween, they said, hold on a second. Here, take it all. 
And in so doing, Exodus says, they plundered the Egyptians as they went out. And this heart, as God says, I redeemed you out of the land of Egypt and I blessed you and gave you abundant provision. He says, this is how you are to treat those who are under your house as servants. Those poor in your land who couldn't pay back their debt, who come in this indentured servitude, they shall serve you for six years. But on the seventh year, you're to make sure that that never happens to them again. You're supposed to make sure that you give them such abundant wealth on their way out that they don't have to go serve again. But he doesn't just say, do this because I said so. He says, do this because I'm the God who did this for you. I have blessed you. I provided for you. Do this. Do the same thing. Model my heart to those who are under your roof. All of this is, of course, really exemplified in Christ. Just consider these, some of these verses and, and thoughts from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, kind of the foundation of what Matt read from 2 Corinthians 9 this morning. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. In Philippians 2, that, that great passage where Christ empties himself, Christ looked to your interests he looked to your welfare and he poured himself out for you. He emptied himself out for you. Obeying to the point of death on a cross, suffering the wrath of his heavenly father for your sins so that you might be blessed with every spiritual blessing that is his. Matthew 20, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and I think we need to understand this is God's heart, and this is the heart he desires for his children. We need to hear a verse like that applied directly to you. Christ gave himself up as a ransom for you. It's only when it really hits us deep when the Holy Spirit does his wonderful work of regenerating our heart, of giving, of taking out the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, that we can all of a sudden see the beauty of God and the beauty of Christ and see that he has lavished us with every spiritual blessing, that he gave himself up for us. He, he who's creator of the universe became poor so that we in him might become rich. It's really understanding that this Sabbath principle is born out of the heart of God that we then know how the heart of his children ought to be. Not a hard heart, not a heart with a closed hand, but a heart with an open hand. It's only a circumcised or a new heart that can have that open hand of generosity and compassion when we understand what God and Christ has done for us. See, we're his image bearers. We are called and meant, created to reflect the image of God so that the characteristics of his heart 
as we see here in the Sabbath principle, flow out of us to others. First, we understand that everything we have is from God, both physical and eternal. So we share them both with generosity. We see this pictured with, with the provisions of, of, our, of this earthly life, the goods and property that we have in the early church. One of the first things they did was they showed that open hand. They said, there's a needy brother. I've got something I can sell. I'm going to sell my land and give money to my needy brother. So he doesn't need, so he's no longer needy. I'm going to, to give of what I have so that those around me in this brotherhood of faith can be taken care of. James tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is that that visits orphans and widows in their affliction. Again, that's echoing the heart of God. Psalm 68, he is the father to the fatherless. He cares for the widows. So we, in turn, as we bear his image, as, as he creates in us a new heart and we are his children, reflect that image to the world around us, we do the same. He loves the, the orphans and the widows. We love the orphans and the widows. He loves his children. We love his children. You think of Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 25 of the sheep and the goats and this idea of caring for the least of these. And the sheep cared for the least of these. Says so this is one of the things that marked those, marks those who are mine is they care for the down and out of this world. They care for them. So much so that in the parable, it's so, it's so much so as they are renewed more and more into the image of Christ, they're not even aware of it. They said, when did we do these things? He says, you did it. And I saw. As we read this morning, 2 Corinthians 9, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be en enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Just hearing Matt read that text again this morning, as just again struck. Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 9 so much of what Moses is saying here in this text. He says, God is supplying your needs. God is the God of provision and blessing. Trust him. Don't hold a tight clenched fist around the things that are yours, but hold it open. Give to the needy. Help the hurting. Again, it's reflected in our worship where we realize we give our first fruits to God and we can give out of our abundance of blessing to others. We have an open hand. But this isn't just the physical blessings, it's the spiritual riches. Colossians 3 as we... I'm about to wrap up here. 
It's not just the physical things that we have. It's the spiritual riches as we consider that he blesses us with every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Colossians 3, verses 9 through 13, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are being renewed into the image of our creator through our union with Christ. And as that happens, we are becoming more and more like him. So that God who provides all of our blessings who provides everything for us, we recognize that we can in turn give back to him our best and give back to those around us out of our abundance. We can have that open hand. We can have hearts of compassion. We can have hearts of generosity. And maybe the thing that is harder to give out than a check is something like forgiveness. He says, don't don't be stingy with your money and don't be stingy with the spiritual blessings that I've given you in Christ. You are to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is how we show that meekness and that humility. We turn and we see someone who has wronged us and we say, who am I to possibly keep back anything that God has given me. As his child, I ought to see that as an impossibility. I ought to be eager and delight to turn around and say, I could never, it's kind of funny, I could never really forgive as Christ has, has, as God and Christ has forgiven me. He, is, he has forgiven me more than I could ever imagine. The older saints among us know this well. They say, the older I get, the more I realize how wonderful God's forgiveness is of me. I realize more and more the depth of my depravity, the depth of my sin, and it makes me realize more and more just his grace and mercy lavished upon me. Who am I to withhold any of these things? The call for Israel constantly throughout Deuteronomy and throughout the pages of the Old Testament is remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. And this is the very thing that we have to remember. We have to remember that we have been redeemed out of the domain of darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. We've, we've been redeemed from sin and death. We are his. All that we have is his. How can we possibly withhold anything? 
as we come before the communion table this morning, we take the Lord's Supper together. It really is a important picture, and one of the reasons we call it communion is because we are communing with one another in this. We take it together. We believe this is a sacrament that is meant to be observed, celebrated, rejoiced over amongst the gathered church, the gathered saints. So we come together on the, on the Lord's day and we not only sit under the preaching of the word and we sing our songs of praise to the Lord and we pray, but we enjoy the Lord's supper together communally as a gathered body because we recognize that as we are united to Christ, we are also united to one another. And as we take these things, the, the difficulty that the church uh, in Corinth had that Paul is addressing is they, they viewed each other, many of them viewed themselves as more important than others. There's these segments in the church for various reasons. They viewed themselves as more important. So there's, there's these segments in the congregation and they weren't even enjoying the Lord's Supper together So it's important that when we take this, we realize that we are just part of the body of Christ. I am no more important than any other part. And we all have a part. And because we're part of the body of Christ, I love you and I care for you. So John and 1 John even tells us if you see your brother in need, you better supply his need. Not out of some legalistic thing, but because God has supplied your needs. It's echoed throughout the pages of Scripture. So as we take this together, we need to remember that, that we are part of the body of Christ. We ought to have hearts of compassion, hearts of generosity as we love for one another, love one another and care for one another, not only with physical needs, but spiritual needs. Let's pray and, and we'll celebrate this together. Father, just thank you for who you are that you are the God who cares for the least of these. You are the God who cares for me. You are the God who cares for us. As he's saying your words, a trustworthy statement that Jesus came to save sinners. And Father, you reached down in eternity and you have redeemed us who are, who are sinners, who are your enemies. You redeemed us. You lavished your love upon us in Christ. You didn't even spare your son and you have then bestowed every spiritual blessing upon us. You are a father to the fatherless. You care for the widows.
You set the prisoners free and set him in a new land. And you have done that with us. And Father, as we take the Lord's Supper together, we think forward, Father, to the blessings that are ours as Christ has gone before us as our forerunner to prepare a place for us. We, are, we remember again that nothing we have belongs to us. This world is not even our, our home. We are pilgrims. And you have promised us in Christ an inheritance that cannot be tarnished, cannot be taken away from us. No moth can destroy it. No thief can break in his steel. It is secured in Christ. Help us to have an eye to that. And as your children, help us in this world to be a people who reflect the image of our creator and show a heart of compassion and help us as we take this table together for it to be a reminder for us to love and care for one another well. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.